All right, good evening to everybody. Hope everybody had a good good day. It was a, it was a beautiful day, for sure. And so, if you got prayer requests, just send them to us, and we'll uh, we'll pray for those prayer requests. Send them in Messenger, and send them to Denise or me. And if you guys have other questions that you would like answered, just keep sending them, and we'll keep answering them. Uh, so, uh, tonight we're going to answer the the pithy way the question is put is to speak or not to speak but i want to read the whole question or the whole statement to you and then we'll come back say a prayer and then we'll answer this question so here's the way the question was sent to us to speak or not to speak i have always believed from my own bible study that we are supposed to be vocal about sharing jesus and speaking against sin but we have to to also check our own check ourselves, and I know that's improper English. We should check ourselves for sin. Uh, the leaders of my church are saying we need to keep quiet about stuff like abortion, sexual sins, transgender, all hot topics. We can win more with love and acceptance than spouting our beliefs. Our preacher even said we should not force Jesus on people by sharing faith, but wait till they ask us. I now, I'm now confused. All right, so that's the question. So while that's rolling around in your head, let me pray. Father, we come to you tonight and thank you for the time we can have together. And I know there are many needs that are on hearts and minds tonight that uh, need to be met. And we turn to you to help that in those areas. We know that you are the great physician. We know that you are... Um, able to heal the body, that, Lord, you're able to deal with relational issues, financial issues. You can help us in whatever issue we're dealing with in life. And so we're asking you to, to move and work among us and uh, allow and make your will be known and done. And we ask tonight, Lord, as we answered this question, that we would um, speak truth and that we would... Uh, that we would be able to, to have the boldness to do what it is that you're asking us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. A couple things right off the bat. The quick answer I would give to this question is, well, of course we ought to speak out, right? And then the other part of that answer, or the answer I would give to this question is, you need to get a new preacher or a new church, quick. <laughs> if that's what they are telling you. So already you know how I feel about uh, this particular question, but I didn't want you just to take my word. I wanted to give you some biblical uh, texts that would help us with that. But the whole idea, even, even in the question, the person is speaking out, in a sense, about beliefs just by asking asking the question. So we can't help but speak out in one, in one sense because we're always going to... S- we're always going to share and do what we believe, no matter what. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're not even a Christian. You're always going to share and do what you believe. That's just part of human nature in life. So we're going to speak out. So it behooves Christians to speak out uh, about the truth and worldview that comes from a biblical background. Because the world wants us, of all people, to be silent while they are able to share and speak and and determine what is truth. And we have, within our possession, not because of who we are, but because God has revealed himself in his word, we have the absolute transcendent truth 
of God's word that we must bring to bear on the life that we live and on the society in which we live that life in. So we have no choice but to speak out. And the first issue is about, well, I'm going to tackle the issue of the gospel to start with because the question, the statement at the end of that, uh, end of that paragraph was, we should not force Jesus on anybody. And the reality is, we can't force Jesus on anybody. I can't make anybody believe Jesus. So it's really a, a, it's, it's a misnomer in the question because I can't force you to believe anything. Uh, no matter how much I tell it to you, I can't make you believe whatever. It ultimately comes down to your will. You will choose whether or not you believe it's true or not true. And that's, that's, that's between you and God, not between me and you. And that my job is not to force you, but my job is to sow the seed. It is to share the truth of the gospel. And another thing inherent in that statement was that, hey, we, we, can, we can win more people by loving, loving them and not spouting off our beliefs. And there's a statement that's been attributed to a guy named uh, St. Francis Assisi. Now, now, I don't know that he actually said this, but uh, it's ubiquitous everywhere you you run across this idea, most people say that this was ascribed to him, that he, he said the, this, this statement. <clears throat> and what he is attributed to saying is, share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. That's kind of what's implied in that statement in the paragraph we read at the beginning, that we just need to love people, and we don't need to share the gospel, we just need to wait for them to come to us. Well, several problems with that. One is, we. I guess another implication I didn't bring out is in, in, Sir, in St. Francis Assisi's statement, and really kind of inherent in the statement in the last part of this paragraph, is that we just need to live the gospel. That, that's kind of what's inherent in those questions. Well, here's the problem with it. The gospel is news. It's good news about Jesus Christ. And so... As Dr. Vodibachum often has said, we, we can't live the gospel. I can't live the, the message of the gospel because if I were to live the message of the gospel, then I would have had to been the one who stood in the place of human humanity and, and died on the cross for their sin, and I can't do that. That's why Jesus had to come. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. And again, as Vodibachum always says, it's, it's that's... Telling somebody to live the gospel is as, as, as absurd as telling them to watch the evening news, look at the headlines of those stories, and then go out and live out those headlines. Well, you can't live out the headlines of the news because it's just news that's being told to you. And that's what the gospel it is. The, it is the news about Christ, which leads to the second part of this this idea of just being quiet and waiting until they answer. Well, we have to use our words. If we're going to tell the news, we've got to open our mouth and speak the news. Now, the flip side of that is we can live in light of the gospel. We can, because Christ has transformed us and because of what he did, he did on the cross for us and 
and made a way for us to find forgiveness and, and be reconciled to God, then we can live in light of that as the Holy Spirit works in us and sanctifies us. But we cannot live the gospel. We must proclaim the gospel. So if your pastors are telling you that, then I would say that they are very flawed in their theological understanding. And you need to call a meeting right now and tell them, hey, uh, you need to explain yourself. And if they can't properly explain themselves, then you need to get together as a body of believers and uh, dismiss them from their duties because they're not fulfilling the role that God's called them to fulfill. And or if you can't do that, then you need to find a church that's going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and encourage you and equip you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, because we must share the gospel. Okay, and that means we got to use our words. And the other part of that statement was that we should be quiet. We can win more people with love without spouting our beliefs. And we need to wait for them to come and ask. Well, here's the problem. You hadn't read Romans chapter three, apparently, because Romans chapter three says that there is none who seek after God. There's none righteous. There's none uh, who understand. We're all depraved and the, the bent of humanity is to run from God. What does John say in his gospel? John says in his gospel that Jesus is the light of the world. The light came into the world, but what did the world do? It loved darkness rather than light. Men do not flock to the gospel. Humanity runs from the gospel. So if we wait for them to come to us, we're going to be waiting for a long time. And that's not to say that some people will come, but that 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 means that God's already been working in their life and God's already been speaking to them through his word, through somebody else, through the person of the Holy Spirit. And they've been awakened to the truth that they are sinners in need of a savior. And we must, when they come to us, what, what must we do? We must share the truth of the gospel. So the other, I'm trying to be nice. The other absurd concept in the last part of this question is, that we we don't share because even if they come to us what do we have to do we have to sometime at some point share what we believe and i've already made a contention we're going to share what we believe there's not a person alive on planet earth that at some point to somebody doesn't share what they believe we, we can't help ourselves so in, the, in my mind, if, if that's what preachers are telling you, that is it's the most absurd thing that I've ever heard in my life. And they're not fit to be in that in that position. Now, I wanted to give you some scripture to back up what I'm saying that you and I must not that we that we that we maybe should share. We must share the gospel. The, the Bible leaves no question. Jesus shares a parable about uh, a gentleman who's throwing a uh, a wedding banquet, and he goes out to and uh, sends his servants out to invite in uh, the wedding guest. And, and the context is it's, it's about the Jews and in Christ coming to the Jews and inviting them into this kingdom relationship, this marriage supper of the Lamb, if you will. And the Jews decide, hey. We got other things we got to do. You know, I got to go bury my, my father. I got to go do this or go do that. And uh, the servants come back and tell Jesus, hey, we went out and did what you said, but they don't, they, they, they have all these excuses. They don't want to come. Then Jesus sends them out and says, well, go, 
go and, uh, you know, just grab people off the street and invite them in. And then they come and says, hey, we've done what you said, and there's still room. And he says, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. But let me read the text, and, and you'll get the gist of it. So this is from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. It says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go, go out and see it. Uh, please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married uh, a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and uh, reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these, those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So the implication is that Jesus is going to, the gospel is ultimately going out to all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. The Jews were the ones that were invited in the context of this parable. And when they refused to come, Jesus says, Go get the Gentiles, go get the poor, go get whoever and bring them in. And then the thing is, he doesn't say just request that they come. He says to compel them to come in. So that's how we go about sharing the gospel. We go to people and compel them to believe. And you can follow the example of, of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. What did Apostle Paul do? Everywhere he went, the first place he went was to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, he reasoned with the Jews through the Old Testament to prove to them and to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. So he was compelling them to answer. And if they refused, then he would say, hey, you know, I, I, I shake my, you know, defeat to you. I shake the dust off my feet. You know, I have not guilty for you because I've done all I can do. And then he goes to the Gentiles who, for the most part in the first century, were believing and hearing the gospel of Christ. But Paul used his words and he compelled and tried to persuade people to come to faith uh, in Jesus Christ, even knowing that he couldn't make them believe. We can't make them believe, but we are to try to persuade them of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust God to use the person of the Holy Spirit to bring them and draw them to, to the, the family of faith. So Jesus in this parable implies that you and I are to go and to compel people. So that means we must be active. But probably the one that everybody knows, if you're a Christian, you definitely know, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus begins there and says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. And then he tells them something to do in light of the fact that he has been given all authority. He says, Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not to bore you with language, but uh, the only verb in that statement is the phrase translated, make disciples. Everything else is in the participial form. Even the word go is in the participial form and can be, and probably (coughs) more accurately translated, as you are going, make disciples. And I always say, who among us is not going? The majority of us are always going. And so it's as you are going, make disciples of all nations. And yes, sometimes that means people go to a different nation, a different place far away and make disciples. But more often than not, it's for you and I, it's about grassroots discipleship. Where we are, where God's planted us, where he's allowed us to be born, in that context, as we go, we're to be about making disciples. Well, what does it entail to make disciples? Well, if you're going to make disciples, the implication of discipling is that you're speaking truth, right? You're speaking knowledge into that person, and that person is receiving that knowledge. And the implication in this Great Commission is around salvation and growing in Christ, because part of this making disciples is baptizing people. Well, baptizing people is only significant in this context if if we are saying that people are coming to faith in Christ and they are being baptized, identifying with Christ and becoming part of the family of faith. And that comes after they have proclaimed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. All of that is wrapped up in, in this great commission. And so you and I as believers, we have been commanded and commissioned by Christ to make disciples, to share the gospel, to teach people the truths of God's word. So in my mind, it's it's a no-brainer in scripture. You know, there are many other parables we can look to, the sower who sowed the seed. That's our responsibility. We're sowing the seed. Wherever we go, we're casting the seed of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we must use our words. So if you were sitting here with me, I would say, are there any questions at this moment? But if there are, send them and we'll tackle them later. The second part of this big paragraph is the idea of speaking out against sin in the world. And should we or shouldn't we do that? Well, we kind of answered this question a few weeks ago when we dealt with Christians being involved in politics, because in that dialogue, we were talking about the issue of our speaking uh, about moral issues, because everything to do with politics has some has underlying moral issues. When, when governments make laws, they, they are making moral judgments and making moral uh moral laws that people are bound to follow. And so you and I, if we don't speak out, when who's going to speak out? Because we, again, to go back to where we started, we have the the absolute truth of God. We have the standard for morality set before us in the word, the word of God that emanates from the character 
of God and, and who better are, are who better is equipped to speak to those issues than those who are followers of Jesus Christ and students of his word and not to mention even in this sentence in this paragraph if a person makes a claim that we are to either speak or not to speak isn't that in some level a moral decision that that person is making are we more loving when we speak or are we more loving when we don't speak? Isn't that a moral issue? So again, we can't escape it. Every one of us, we are all going to share our moral views and values. We cannot live and function in society without demonstrating our morality in word and in deed. So as believers, we, I think, it have the we, we are it's necessary for us to speak to issues in this world and even speak to the issues of sinfulness. Now that doesn't mean that we ought to be the, the sin police in everybody's life. In other words, I'm not sitting around the corner with my binoculars following you around like a private detective trying to determine if you're doing right or if you're doing wrong. That's not what we're talking about you know, because God will convict you in those areas. Now, if it becomes an issue in the family of faith and that sin begins to make itself known in the family of faith, then there are ways to deal with that according to the Bible. But speaking to the bigger issue of this paragraph we started off with, should we speak to the evils that are in this world? They mentioned like abortion and sexual issues and sexual sin and, and transgender transgenderism. And again, uh, if it's still online, you can go look at uh, last Sunday's sermon from Friendship Baptist Church where we dealt uh, extensively with the issue of homosexuality and transgenderism uh, from uh, the perspective of Paul's uh, letter to Rome to the Romans in, in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. So I encourage you to go look that up. But again, I go back to the statement, who better to speak to these issues, right? Because God speaks to these issues. And we as his children and we as his ambassadors in this world must speak to these issues, especially on the broader, the broader spectrum, right? Because what's happening in our world is these issues right now, as, as the, the person said in the paragraph, the hot topic issues, well, those are the ones that are driving the political train at this moment, right? The, those are the issues and the battles of our day, theologically and morally. And we, every Christian, again, you know, you think we think the, theology is just for those, uh, you know, special forces Christians or apologetics is just for those special forces Christians or those elite Christians, right? Those who, who went off and studied many years at the university and learned everything that they, they, they need to know. And as Bodhi Bauckham says, you'll see who I like a lot. As Bodhi Bauckham says, he says, we think that those apologist guys, they know what they don't, they know even what they don't even know. And just whenever it comes up and, and the question is asked that God just inspires them to know the truth. Well, that's not what apologetics and theology, every Christian is a theologian. As a matter of fact, I'd say just about every person is a theologian because all of us at some point or another are going to give our theological understanding of an issue. 
if you say that you believe in Jesus and you start to uh, place your faith in Jesus, where well, you're already making a theological statement. If you say you reject Jesus and you don't believe in him, guess what? You've made a theological statement. So we're all theologians in that sense. So we're all going to speak to these issues in some way or another, even those who are championing, championing, the, uh, the the sins that we we see in this world, like the alphabet mafia, homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, whatever the hot topics are, they are speaking theologically. We don't agree with their theology, right? And they wouldn't call it theology, but they are there. They have underlying all of that stuff that they believe. They have an understanding about God. Their understanding is not our understanding about God, right? We believe that he is the creator of this universe. He is the sovereign creator and sustainer of this universe and that all truth comes from God and only, the only ultimate truth comes from God. Where they would believe that either he doesn't exist or they don't know that he exists or even if they think he does exist, he's not the end all be all of everything. Apparently they are, right? So in that, in that same concept, they are making theological statements. So we don't need to let them put us in a corner and think that making theological statements is a bad thing or sharing your belief is a bad thing because they are doing the very same thing, okay? So don't let people pigeonhole you into saying you cannot speak the truth because they are speaking truth and they are speaking to these issues from a moral and theological uh, construct. So I have the opportunity and the right and I have the obligation to speak the truth to these issues. All right, don't take my word for it though. Look at what the Bible says. And again, you can go read all these chapters. But in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 is a very powerful chapter. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it starts off in verse 1 saying, for us to be imitators of God as dear children. And the idea is for us to follow in his footsteps and to, to be just like him. Now, I know I can't be just like God. If I could, I'd be God, right? So I can't be just like God, but I am to imitate the character of God to the best of the ability that God gives me while I'm here on planet Earth. And that will be to a greater degree whenever we are glorified when Christ comes again. But the point is, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, then I have to follow after the character and the moral truth that God portrays in his word. And I have to live in accordance to the grace and mercy and the righteousness that he's bestowed upon me in Jesus Christ. And that's going to cause me to be at odds with some people in this world. Okay. And so Ephesians chapter 5 goes on, as Paul's writing in, in verses 8 through 11, speaking specifically to this issue of standing up or speaking out about sinfulness in our world. He says, starting verse 8, For at one time you were darkness. Again, don't, I wish I, I, well, we do have time, but you'd get bored and, and it'd take all night. Don't miss that. Paul's telling these believers if you go read the previous verses, he tells them some, some folks who live in certain ways that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he makes in this statement in verse 8, you were like that. You were darkness. The implication is now you're not darkness. Look at the next phrase in Ephesians chapter, for chapter 5 verse 8. 
but now you are light in the Lord. They ought to be a transformation in our life. He says, walk as children of light, bringing back that topic from from verse one, being imitators of God as dear children. Walk as children of light. In verse nine, he says, parenthetically, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Well, good and right and true are only found in God, right? Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. And as far as uh, truth, Jesus says, Lord, sanctify them with your truth. And he, in John chapter 17, he says, your word is truth. So where do we find goodness and rightness and truth? We find it in the person of God who is revealed to us in the word of God, the living word, Jesus Christ, and the written word that we call the Bible. Then he goes on, verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to God. That's the attitude and life of a believer, walking as children of God and doing our best to discern what is pleasing to God and living like that. Then he gives us something to do in verse 11. He tells a negative there's a negative command, then there's a positive command. The negative command is, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. All right? Don't be a part of what they're doing. If you read chapter 1 and 2 of Romans, one of the issues that brought God's wrath on those people that are described by Paul there that suppressed the truth of God is that they not only practiced those things, but they rejoiced or celebrated in those who also practiced those sinful activities. And he commands us not to take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. That's the negative command. Here's the positive command. But instead, expose them. Well, how are we going to expose them if we don't speak out? How are we going to expose them if we don't share the truth of God's word in light of these situations. Now, I get it. We, we don't need to be, we don't have to be, don't need to be hateful and mean and belligerent, belligerent about it. We can do it in an intelligent, straightforward, matter-of-fact, loving way. Right? We don't have to be like, I forget the name of that church that goes around spewing out this ridiculous stuff about uh, homosexuals and, and, and uh, transgender and misrepresenting the character of God, okay? Trust me, God's Word says homosexuality, and I believe everything that's included in that uh, acronym is an abomination. And we ought to describe it as an abomination. Or to, we ought to describe it as an abomination. Well, it is what it is. Is it gone on? It looks like it. Okay. Okay, we're going to dance. Got to close up. Anyway, technical difficulties. It says it's trying to reconnect. Oh, that's the internet, internet thing. Is internet is acting up. Anyway, we'll keep going. Maybe it'll take, maybe it won't. All right. Anyway, we are to expose them. And the only way we can expose them is to speak out about these issues, especially on the broad scale, and to speak about these issues to individuals 
in a loving, nurturing, edifying way, trying not to beat people down, but to bring people to Christ and to rescue them from the battles that they are fighting. Because as Paul says again, next chapter over in Ephesians chapter six, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Where's our battle? Our battle is with principalities and powers, right? So all those who are trapped in these sinful activities are doing battle with Satan. And we need to share the truth of the gospel. And the Bible says that there are people who once walked like that who are now rescued from that. And Christ can rescue people. And the only way that we can communicate that is to share with them the truth about how God views these issues. And, you know, we're talking all about homosexuality and transgender, but abortion is just as atrocious uh, as that. And again, I understand there are all kinds of issues with, with the concept of abortion, you know, whether, whether you know, someone was raped or, or whatever. But here's the, here's the stark reality of the situation. No matter how the child was conceived, an abortion is ending the life of the child. So in that sense, it's murder. Okay? In, in that sense, we are stepping in the place of God and saying that I, have the, I should have the right to take life or create life the way I see fit. The same thing goes with, with suicide. And I understand there are mental issues that call, bring that on. There's stress and all those kinds of things. But even in that, it's not the unpardonable sin, nor is abortion the unpardonable sin, nor is homosexuality or transgenderism. None of those are unpardonable. Okay, God can forgive and God can change. Paul already said that in verse 8 of Ephesians 5. But you and I in all those situations, in, in every one of them, where there's lesbianism, homosexual, or men, uh, homosexuals, transgenderism, uh, all the acronyms, whatever you want to put in there. If in all of those cases, abortion, suicide, we are stepping in and saying, hey, I am my own God. I decide what is right for my life. I decide what, how God should have created me and that God was wrong in all of those things. And we've got to speak up against those kinds of those kinds of issues, because there are other ways to 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 deal with pregnancy. There are other and there's freedom from uh, all these other vices and sinful activities. And again, that, uh, we we talk about all these things because it was in the question one, but. And they are the hot topics of our generation, right? Or several generations. They have all my life they've been the hot topics. But that doesn't exclude all the rest of the sin that people commit. Because if you read Romans chapter 1, at the end of that chapter, there's a progression in Romans chapter 1. And when you get to verse 18, you know that God's wrath is being revealed on uh, the ungodliness of men. And because of that, because they suppress the truth about who God is, because they worship idols and they worship the creation rather than God. And part of that creation worship is when we worship ourselves by saying that we are our own God and we determine for ourselves how we ought to be. Uh, God turns them over to the lust of their flesh, right? And God turns them over to the base passions, 
which was homosexuality. And uh, then God turns them over. The last one is God turns them over to a debased mind. That they, they begin to be driven by the depravity of their mind and their flesh. And they are filled with all evil, all manner of evil and, and malice. The Bible says, and Paul gives a list. It's not an all-inclusive list, but it's a list of sinfulness, which includes all manner of sexual sin, whether it be adultery or fornication, uh, whether it be murder or whether it be lying or stealing or dishonoring your father and your mother, whatever you want to plug in that, uh, that, that, that category of sinfulness. Uh, we're not minimizing any of those sins and elevating these others. All of them are egregious to God. But right now, the hot button for us are the ones that were mentioned in this article or this paragraph. And quite frankly, those sins are going against the created order of God from the very beginning of time. And so it's imperative for us to speak against those activities, especially on the on the grand scale. I keep saying that, but on any scale, not just the grand scale, but any scale, we ought to speak against those uh, sinful activities. And when the world tells us we ought to celebrate them, we should not celebrate them. We should pray that God would end the practice of them and that God would end the ability for men and women to to progress this idea and agenda in our society. All right, uh, then uh, the last thing uh, I was going to say about this, a couple of things. Jesus spoke, of, spoke out against sin. So if we call ourselves followers of Christ and we ought to imitate God, Jesus is God, then it seems to me if Jesus spoke out against sinful things that we ought to speak out against sinful things, right? And again, we don't have time to read everything Jesus said about that, but go read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and you'll see quite clearly that Jesus spoke out against sinful activity. Uh, and we ought to do that as well. And uh, there's another quote that I thought about when I was studying this, and it's a gentleman's name's Dr. Michael Brown. And you can, you can probably Google him, but he is... Uh, uh, a Hebrew scholar, uh, I think he knows a lot of Semitic languages. He studied, that was his doctorate, and he'd written books about the issues of homosexuality and, and uh, those type things. And one of the things that he always says whenever, because the challenge always comes up about love in, in, this, in this debate, right? Either, you know, all we want is, is loving relationships and, you know, love wins out or whatever. And the other side of that coin is it's unloving if you speak out against these things. You, you're, 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 you're not being loving to people if you speak out against these sinfulness. But one of the things he always says is truth speaks or love speaks truth. But if I'm going to love somebody and I'm going to love them the way Christ called me to love them, then I must speak the truth of God's word to them. Anything other than that would be unloving to them. You know why? Because not speaking that truth is not telling them that there is condemnation waiting for you in all of eternity if you don't bow the knee to Christ and surrender your will to his will and be redeemed and transformed by Jesus Christ. If I don't share that with people, then I'm being unloving to people in, in the most egregious kind of way. And God so loved us that he shared that with us. And as a matter of fact, again, we're going through Romans 
the book of Romans and in Romans chapter one right now, or two, uh, just started this morning. But Paul is making a great effort to speak this truth of the judgment and the wrath of God against this sinfulness in light of the love that God's going to demonstrate to us by allowing his son to suffer the wrath that we deserve. And he stands in our place. And if we will bow our knee to him as Lord and Savior, we can be we, we can be saved. We can be saved from the wrath of God. Our sin will be imputed to Christ and Christ's righteousness will be imputed to us. So Jesus spoke out against it and he demonstrated the devastation of sinfulness and the reality of God's wrath when he went to the cross of Calvary and he demonstrated God's love for humanity by suffering for us and allowing us a way uh, to be be redeemed and saved from this wrath that is to come. And there was one passage, you know, because we're always talking about the issue of love and all this stuff. We need to be more loving, right? And apparently loving, uh, being being loving is equate, equated with, uh, you just you just let me be like I need to be. That's the best way to love me. It's just let me be what I need to be, right? Well, and one of the things that come to my mind was 1 Corinthians 13. The 1 Corinthians 13, we go to the love chapter, right? And we talk about these things, you know, love covers a multitude of sin. Well, that verse doesn't mean that love ignores sin, right? What does it mean? It's seeing somebody who loves a person comes alongside of them and helps them in the difficulties in their life and presents to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through their loving them in that way, loving them enough to tell them the truth of God's wrath and God's righteousness in Christ, then love in that sense covers their sin because Christ has covered their sin. And when they come to faith in Christ, their sin <clears throat> is dealt with once and for all. Now listen to what Paul wrote in the love chapter, right? First Corinthians 13, four through six. He says, love is patient and kind. And so we'll take that and that's, you know, that's how we need to be patient and kind. We do need to be patient and kind, but being patient and kind doesn't mean ignoring and keeping our mouth shut about what is sinful. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. You see, a lot of people think that, hey, you're arrogant and you're rude if you speak uh, the truth or if you speak your mind. Well, that goes both ways, right? <laughs> if I'm arrogant and rude, if I speak my mind, then you're arrogant and rude because you spoke your mind, right? So you can't have your cake and eat it too. Uh, it's not arrogant and rude to, to speak in love about the truth. As a matter of fact, it is the most loving and kind thing you can do for a person is to speak the truth to them in love. It goes on to say, love, I put love in this way, it does not insist on its own way. Well, how about that, right? What about... The other side of this coin, the other side of this coin, those who who practice these things and celebrate those who practice these things, it insists on its own way, right? Well, what is the Christian? The Christian is not insisting on his own way. The Christian is insisting that God's way is the only way, not because the Christian made it up, but because God said so. And the, the text goes on to say, it is not irritable or resentful. And so that's the attitude that we ought to speak truth in. We ought to speak truth, patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, not insisting in our own way, not being irritable or resentful. But here's the last two phrases of this verse, I think, is where, as J. Vernon McGee would say, the rubber meets the road. Remember, this is about love. 
Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. How about that for love? If I'm going to be loving, then I cannot rejoice in wrongdoing. What does it rejoice in? Look at the last phrase. It says, but rejoices in truth. So what's my responsibility if I'm going to love people to Christ? If I'm going to love them to Christ, then I've got to speak the truth to them, right? And I've got to not rejoice in wrong. I've got to rejoice in the truth and stand firm and shout to the rooftop what God's word says about the truth. That is the most loving thing that I can do as a believer for those who are in my circle of influence. They're unbelievers and even those who I have no idea. If they hear the sound of my voice, they ought to hear me proclaiming the truth of God's word because that's the most loving thing for me to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. And then the, the, the last thing I would say about that, God's called us to be salt and light, hasn't he? How are we going to be salt and light in this world if we don't share the truth? If we don't impact, if we don't impact society, if we don't, if we don't live in light of our biblical worldview in society in a very public way, how are we going to be salt and light? Listen to this quote, and I'll end with this from, from Jack Ashcroft. He said, we should never sit by quietly while evil takes place. As when we do, we become complicit in the evil. Our calling today is to stand against evil in all its forms in Christ's likeness. Boy, isn't that what 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6 just said? We are to stand against evil in all forms, and we are to do it in Christ's likeness. And what was Christ's likeness when it came to dealing with evil? Well, for those who are proud and haughty, right, and self-righteous, Jesus was firm, right? And he called them, you know, broods of vipers, whitewashed tombs. He went in and turned over tables and plaited whips and drove them out. But what did he do to those people who were humble and broken with a contrite heart? Like the lady who came and poured out the expensive perfume and anointed his feet, right? He showed them grace and tenderness and mercy. What did he do with the woman at the well? You know, the Samaritan who, who the Jews despised. What did he do with that lady? He confronted the sinfulness in her life. Who, who's your husband? He says, I don't have a husband. Right, you don't. You've had five and the one you live with is not your husband now, right? But what did he say to her? He ultimately shared the truth of the gospel with her, the living water with her, right? And invited her to, to come to faith in him and go and sin no more. He did it in a, in a gracious way. And that's the way you and I ought to be in, in, our, in our lives as we speak this truth um, to the world. And so, anyway, that's my spiel. Still 47 minutes. I thought it would be shorter than that. But if you got other questions, send them to my wife or to me, and we will deal with them along the way. I hope, you, hope this helped everybody. But as far as believers... Again, I want to reiterate something, and then I'm going to pray, and, and we'll be done. We've got to use the term. Uh, I probably shouldn't use this term, but we've got to come out of the closet as Christians. 
what we've got to do is not let people take the moral high ground on us. That's what we that's what we do all the time. We we let them we 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 let them have the moral high ground because we we feel like their accusation against us is that we're unloving when we do all these things. We don't give over the moral high ground because what they are demanding of you is are criticizing you of is the same thing that they're doing. And don't let people pigeonhole you or back you in a corner on that. They have the obligation to prove their point, right? They don't, they, they don't get the right to just assume it because that's what they feel like. They have an obligation to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt, and they can't. Whereas we have the absolute truth, and we have the authority of Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can change hearts and lives and minds. So don't be afraid. Don't think you got to know everything and all the answers. The real issue for you and for me is to do like Peter said, to give the reason for the hope that is within us. That's what I'm called to do, right? I don't have to debate every Muslim. I don't have to debate every liberal. What I have to do is say, this is what I believe. This is why I believe this. And this is the truth of God's word. Now you have to deal with that. Right? So anyway, let me pray. Father, thank you. Use this to help us, to grow us, to give us confidence and boldness. And may we speak truth in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.